Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Won't you let me down easy? Take it in small pieces. Might have slipped along the way. Blindside before hitting a wall. That was Sarah Jo Royalty breaking out a live ballad to start your day. The Fly Tying Zone, the $45 Fly, and Daiichi today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how are you doing today? Thanks for stopping by the show. Did you know there's an easy way to ask a question of an upcoming guest? Right now, if you are on Instagram and haven't followed us, check out at wetflyswing on Instagram and you can submit a question for an upcoming guest right there. And if we select your question, you are likely to get a shout out and eventually we're going to be giving away some free gear. So stay tuned on that. Today's episode is sponsored by Daiichi Fishing Hooks, a leader in the fly fishing industry and still the world's sharpest hook. Tempered with carbon-rich steel, Daiichi offers superior penetration without compromising the hook's structural integrity. You can head over right now to wetflyswing.com Daiichi and check out what they have going and check out these killer hooks. That's Daiichi, D-A-I-I-C-H-I. Sarah Jo Royalty is here to take us into her story around fly tying, sailing, and music. We find out whether being a professional golf caddy or a professional fly fishing guide is harder. What's new with her new FFI fly fishing event she's got coming up this year. And then she knocks it out of the park, like I said, with this live guitar solo at the end. You got to stay tuned for this one. It's pretty amazing. Here we go. Sarah Jo Royalty at Sarah Jo Flies on Instagram. Here we go. How's it going, Sarah? Hi, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on here. We are going to dig into a little on the fly tying. Actually, I didn't know you before running into at one of the shows. I um, were working with Daiichi this year, and they you were at the booth with. Uh, talk about the booth that you're there. You're with uh, the big guy, right, at the, uh, at the Albany show. Yeah, Caleb. Caleb, the national sales manager. Um, he often refers to himself as the the son and Tommy boy, but I think. <laughs> I think he works much harder than that. He's uh, selling himself really short. But um, yeah, it's a family-owned business now. And I have been sponsored by Daiichi for about two years, kind of working through all of their management changes and stuff. It's been a little, every time I get a new letter and they're like, we have to revise everything. I'm like, oh, I'm getting cut. Here we go. Oh, right. But um, every time it seems to have been fine. And um yeah, I got lucky enough of all the tires that they had in the area. I got lucky enough to be tying in the booth for Daiichi for the show. And so Caleb and I spent the weekend together and uh, got to know each other, had a great time. And it just kind of, you know, furthered that connection with the company. So that was awesome. Yeah, that is cool. And 
And it's pretty awesome because I've had a little bit of a connection with Daiichi for a while, just even after, you know, on top of everything going back kind of old school. So it's cool to see that they got the family kind of, you know, it's the family atmosphere, right? And Caleb, and that was a fun episode we did. I'll put a link to that one. We talked about Choda, but he's he's got an interesting background as well, like with the professional fishing and all that stuff. It's pretty good. Totally. And he loves golf. Oh, he does. Oh, yes. We talked about his drive and how he's getting his driver straightened out. <laughs> during the weekend so but you know the one thing too is like all this sponsorship stuff is real i don't want to say iffy but like um i have to just fully believe in a product to be with it any of them anybody that i'm sponsored with i was like either in love with before or they moved me in such a way and i think the thing for daiichi is like quality control right now since they bought the company they probably have like 800,000 plus hooks in stock that they will never sell because they decided that they weren't strong enough and they had three manual. And so like, I just like really respect that, you know? Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And I don't, we haven't talked about the whole history about the transition there, you know, how that all went down, but yeah, I mean, we can make some guesses right at how that, the important thing is now they're on track. Right. And so what they're producing is, is good stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. And so I want to dig in, you know, I want to talk, you got some, uh, the golf, my brother is a, is a big golfer. So is my dad. And, uh, I, there was a period where I golfed a little bit in my life. I think I was a, maybe a bogey type golfer, but yeah. you know, I haven't done it in a long time, but so you got all that. Let's just take it back before we jump into some of the random conversation. Let's, let's jump into fly fishing, kind of where you got started, how you got into fly fishing. Then we'll, we'll talk more Daiichi and fly tying. So, I mean, the fly fishing was more of a West Coast thing that hit me. I started on the East Coast as a, a commercial longliner. Not going to lie, it was the movie The Perfect Storm. I saw that, and I was oh, like, yeah. aside from that really bad weather. <laughs> right. This looks kind of interesting to me. I might hate it, but I kind of just want to try it, you wow. know? Wow. Eventually got somebody to pick me up because I was living on the East Coast on the in Beaufort, North Carolina, which is a big commercial fishing area. So I pretty much just had to walk down to the dock or to the bar in the afternoon, you know, when they come in. And eventually got um, taken on as an observer, but quickly got hired as a mate and just kind of went from there. Did it on and off for six years, all types, um, commercial lining for tuna and swordfish. Uh, bottom fishing with electric reels for rockfish and clamming, shrimping, ran a shrimp boat for a while, just kind of hopped all around and then ended up moving out to the West Coast. And when I got out here, probably because I had small kids and stuff, um, was looking more towards a different type of fishing uh, to challenge me and ended up dating a guy for a while who who liked fly fishing, got rid of him. And, you know, it just, uh, I, I got you know, just caught on quickly and got sponsored almost right away. I started tying and got sponsored by Spirit River was my first sponsorship before they sold to Hairline Dubbing. And that was about nine months after I started. And that was interesting story because he was uh, the guy I was with was like, absolutely do not touch anything of mine. Right. And so I would like, I would like take a picture of his vice, you know, right the way he left it. And I would like eye on it. And then I would like move everything right back, you know. Oh, wow. That's classic. Just because I need to try it before I, you know, buy all this. And so I eventually decided. And then one day he comes home and I liked his vice. You know, he had a Renzetti Traveler, a great vice to start on. 
I ended up buying that. I ended up keeping that until just last year. But um, yeah, he came home and I had that and he's like, what's going on here? And I showed him this grasshopper. He's like, that's ridiculously good. And I'm like, this is mine. Leave me alone. <laughs> wow. So that's it. And he just accepted it. But, you know, he just was, I, I don't know. He's, I think he just wanted to keep his own hobby. And I, I get that. I do. But I, you know. Right, right. Wow. That's crazy. So the flight tying sounds like it just... It came to you. Did it seem uh, easy? How did you get to a point where you're sponsored? I don't even know, right? Like how that all works, but that came so quick. I don't think there's really like you say, how does that happen? I mean, you're really just kind of get lucky sometimes. Obviously, you have to have something they're looking for, but I was at a show. I talked to the gal, I think that was a manager at Spirit River, and I expressed my interest. Oh, I think I went to a, the Albany show and asked to tie. So then I was tying at a little show. She came over and she said, I really like your stuff. Like, please apply. And I thought, well, that's weird, you know. But when I sent my fly pictures of my flies, they just, you know, they thought they were, I mean, I don't know. I just, yeah, they were great. And she took me on right away. And they were great because I could drive over to the factory and just like wander through and pick out whatever I wanted. Oh, wow. Is that how it works? I guess with the, the sponsor there, you, you basically tie with their stuff and then you can kind of grab what you need. Yeah, so now, like, my tying material, I mean, I have a, a account with Hairline, so, like, anybody around me that wants to get stuff from Hairline Dubbing, I can get it all day long for them, you know? But now I'm with Simperfly for materials, and I suppose I could walk in there. They're very friendly, but they're in the UK. Um, <laughs> won't be stepping in <laughs> to grab materials, but they send me stuff all the time, so that's great. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Okay, cool. And now you're tying. Do you tie flies? It sounds like you do some custom flies. Is the selling of the flies a big part of what you do? Um, yes, I feel like I'm so busy with everything that I don't heavily advertise. I mean, I'm a hundred percent open for business, but I don't. I'm not like throwing up ads everywhere. Hey, DM me for you know because I end up getting such a long wait list. You know, it becomes discouraging for mm, people. Gotcha. Often Sometimes the wait list is at least three months or more, you know. So I just like, I already have like a decent clientele. And again, I'm, you know, I'm open to taking more. I just um, don't throw it out there as much because I am busy doing it. And then the other thing is like tying directly for like Daiichi or, or Semperfly and, you know, taking photos. So I have like a nice camera and a photo set up with their product. You know, so do promotion and stuff like that. That's a big part of it for me. Then test patterns. I mean, one of my goals this year, Daiichi would like as well, is entering some of my more used patterns, uh, you know, widely sold patterns to Umqua per se. Like that's, you know, an option because they have, they will use the Daiichi hook in. Oh, they will. Which is huge, right? I had to ask about that. So. That's more of, um, you know, production and stuff, more so than trying to whip out a pile of flies, you know. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. So you're not doing the whatever it is, bazillion, hundreds of dozens of flies sort of thing. That gets intense. I do that for a couple of guides that I absolutely love. And they're like, yeah, just just like six dozen of those and then like another four of those. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Right. (laughs) Gosh. I got it down pretty well. And again, I only do that like a couple times a year for a couple of guides. Um, And so I do kind of enjoy doing that just because it's a small amount. 
you know? Yeah. Um, but man, guys that do that day in and day out, I, I don't think that's for me. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked to a little, a few of them. I'm actually probably going to be fishing with one Nick Pianessa. He's out in, out of New York and, uh, and he's a big, uh, yeah, we talked about that. I can't remember how many dozen he ties per day. But yeah, everybody gets their little their little method, right? To I don't know, stay in the zone, I guess. Does it feel like it when you're tied, you're kinda of in the zone? I think that's my problem is like I will, I'll get in the zone for a while and I'll whip out like especially, but I really have to force myself into the zone. I think, you know, when I'm tying part of it to make it profitable is um, you know, like kind of what we talked about before this is like the type of flies I tie, I try to add more detail, try to make sure everything is really specific when it comes to, you know, waiting and all those things so that um, it might cost a little more because it took me a little longer because I wasn't just pumping them out, if that makes sense. Not say that your friend isn't pumping out amazing flies. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But, you know, when you're looking through the fly shop sometimes, you're like, pick up a few, like, nope, 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 wouldn't fish some of those, right? Oh, right, 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 gotcha. That sort of thing. Like, if, if it's not perfect, it doesn't go out. But, you know, I TV on at night and I'm like sometimes I get distracted and I make a new pattern or I like I don't know stare at the TV for a while yep. <laughs> so it's like I you know I don't always pump them out as fast as some people are right so yeah the TV going you don't have the podcast going in the background or the music sometimes I music a bit yeah music a bit too it really just kind of depends on who's around and what's going up my kids are like want to watch something you know I'll be tying and then we can watch something together and that's a good way for me to kind of double up on time you know gotcha gotcha what's your patterns wise do you get a mix of like what would be your most common pattern do you tie the same thing a lot or do you just have a mix of stuff you know seasonally like right now paragons and the dry dropper on the Deschutes is about to go off so lots of salmon fly dry stimulators chubbies all those and paragons are huge right now i tie in general i have a pinfish pattern that i is probably my most popular pattern by far i tie and sell a lot of those hmm. pinfish yeah it's there's a there's a company that i kind of met on instagram uh years ago and they became kind of a little sponsor for me their drop jaw flies is the name of them oh yeah yeah, and then I ended up, you know, meeting Jason and fishing with him, and we've been working together for years now. But it was actually another caddy. He he came. He sent me a picture. He said, "I need these," and it had these heads on it that Jason had made. They're realistic looking heads. And I said, I I looked into it and I said, "You can't afford these," and uh, <laughs> and he says, "I don't care how much they are." And I was like, "Interesting. <laughs> I'm going to consider that when I'm." selling flies right and it turns out that yeah i probably sell more of these flies with these heads which it's the biggest fly i have is about six inches on that one and wow. it's like 45 bucks wow and all the time now how much is 45 dollars for how many no this is for one that's like six to eight inches long oh wow so for literally 45 dollars per fly so the little ones the pinfish are like 10 to 15 depending on the sizing but a 10 bucks for a fly is kind of a lot. But also, when it's like, hey, I'm not good at fly fishing yet. I have poor presentation or like whatever your deal is. Hey, I want to target a monster. You know, all of a sudden you maybe don't mind paying for it is what I found. Because Jason Hand makes the heads. It's really the head mm. that is expensive. And then I take a while on the body because I take this 
uh, like Chinese saddle hackle and glue it together and cut a tail out of it. It just takes forever. Hmm. And what is the fly used for? Oh, that's the thing too, is you can use it for like any and every species. That's if I had one fly, that's the question, right? If I had one fly in the box, it would be this one all day. Really? You could use it for, uh, I mean, so basically it has like a cone head, right? It's got a... Yeah, I mean, a striper, you know, I've had steelhead go after it. Not super common, you know, trout, uh, bass, all types of bass. I mean... Yeah, you name it. That's the one that everybody likes. There you go. The pinfish. And where could you find that if somebody wanted to look at it? Oh, you could come on Instagram. It's on there a million times. Yeah. Yeah, good. All right. So you got the pinfish. And then you mentioned the other ones, some of the dry, the seasonal stuff. Are you tying throughout, I mean, the whole year? Do you have flies going or do you take a break? Pretty much tie all year. Like after this kind of run, I'll be tying a ton of nymphs for the Rogue River. You know, we have summer still on the Rogue River. I do guide on my guide license. I don't guide a ton. That's another like novelty thing for me. You know, I live on the Oregon coast. So like I kind of travel. I love the Samofly Hatch and I love the Rogue River. So I just go spend time over there and open up slots and guide. But a lot of it is sometimes, you know, TFO, like my rod and reel sponsor. They come down and it's like I'm guiding for them or Fly Fishers International. I'm, I really have my license for those two probably. And I just don't have, I don't know that I have the patience to do that 365, which is funny because my patience on the golf course caddying is never ending. I hear that all the time. I said, you just need to know that I am 180 degree opposite when I get out of here and like don't have enough patience. You know? Oh, Roy. Oh, so you have to have patience as a caddy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, I mean, you know, cause like the guiding again, I do, I do enjoy it, but it's like all day I'm basically run, like, especially on the Deschutes, you can't fish from the boat. You can float and drift through all this water that you don't have access to on land, but you're still anchoring and getting out and fishing from the shore. I'm like running in between two people all day. And, you know, I have two rods and I'm really, all I'm doing is running from one, switch them out, start re-rigging, run to the other, switch it out, start (laughs) re-rigging. All you do all day is tie knots, you know. Right. I really enjoy getting people on fish who like, really can't even get a you know they can't even get a fly out there and i'm like they i'm able to get them to catch something i'm like that's amazing yeah do you deal with i mean when you look at the caddying versus the guiding which one's harder oh guiding takes way more time and is way tougher no kidding so it's way harder than even what if you get a what if you're your cat i guess people that have a caddy or probably have some skills well, okay, so it's not even that our average handicap at the dunes is like 20 you know which is pretty high but in general, golf or handicaps are average is very high. Like, I think that the odds that Golf Digest or somebody put up, I don't quote me on, some major golf somebody was like, you're more likely to get in a plane wreck than like shoot under par or something, shoot par, or even par. So, um, but the difference is a lot of the clients that you're getting fly fishing are like, hey, I've never done this before. And you don't get people showing up to the golf course like, I've never swung a club before. No. You know, and so teaching those things also, because I teach a lot of beginner fly fishing clinics, uh, teaching that is very similar to teaching golf. So it takes a lot, a little time, you know, it's like you get it in the grass and then all of a sudden you're on the water and it's like, you don't got it. You know, I mean, it's just a long learning curve, you know, it's a big one. Right, right, right. Wow, this is good. So you got the golf going on and and I know we'll talk a little about the music. I'm always interested in getting some music in there. But remind us again on the um, the Daiichi. Who did you run into first at Daiichi? What was your, you know, how'd you can make that? 
Well, that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think, but I feel like people at the show are always like, hey, why don't you get on with so-and-so? Like I said, I am pretty uh, particular and careful about that. And so I hadn't been on with a hook company yet because I really just hadn't decided on anybody. And actually, I think their first manager is the one that really, um, who's, I don't know what he's doing now, but he kind of swayed me, you know, he really talked me into it. But obviously, Caleb, I mean, Caleb sold me all day. After our interaction, I was just like, I'm a diehard now. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he does that. He's got that personality where it's just you get around him. I, I've been chatting with him. Well, we did a podcast, but then when I saw him in person, you know what I mean? It's like he's just got that personality. He does. Well, yeah, he does. I mean, we, like I said, we're stuck in the booth all day. He's gluten free too. And so then, of course, we were dining together because it's like we're outcasts in the community. <laughs> you know, yep. it's hard to find food sometimes. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we ended up having a great time. And just again, like I said, talking about the quality, like when they go into specifics for me, I mean, that's he doesn't even realize that he's selling me when he's like, hey, so yeah, I had to, you know. For them, sometimes they're like, it's a burden because it's like, oh, I spent all this money on new hooks. It's like, that's a great selling point. Hello, right. you just me. So I think it was just one of the tires was like, you got to get on with these guys. And then my rep, um, Dick Segura, who's a Northwest oh, yeah. rep for TFO, um, he's probably the one that like pushed it the most. He's like, a little bit of an agent for me. He's like, who do you want? You know? <laughs> right. He is. Yeah. Let's kind of get you going. So I think he was ultimately the hookup there, but I had run into people who had, you know, and I mentioned it and Dick's like, Oh yeah, you got to get on with these guys. And they have a conglomerate too, like, um, of other products too. And they're coming out with like beads and, and other stuff. So, yeah, they got some stuff going. Well, I was just thinking, so, you know, we had Steve Potter on recently. He kind of walked through, you know, some hooks, this, his type of tie. He does some deer hair stuff. I'm just curious on you with the hooks. Do you, are you kind of tying also, it sounds like you tie trout flies, a little mixture. Do you have a, like a, a few of the hooks that you're using most often with Daiichi or are you using a bunch of different ones? Yeah. So the jig hooks are the 46, 47s. There's like a whole series of those. I use a lot of those. One of my favorite hooks from them that I don't think anybody knows about is a 1730. It's like this nymph hook that's bent. Oh, okay. Yeah. Quarters of the way up. And it's just like, so when you, you know, when you're tying the body, it kind of works out just mm -hmm. perfect. When you're tying nymphs? Yes. Yeah, that's probably my favorite. And then 1130 is dry fly hooks. And, you know, they have everything a barbless now, too. Oh, right. Yeah. So that's pretty huge. And the X point. So, like, for steelheading, I do tie a lot of saltwater hooks on a lot of saltwater flies and steelhead flies. And so the X point, which I know they're replacing that, but it's basically the same thing. So whatever the X point is, is probably the strongest hook I've ever encountered. That one's pretty amazing. So those are go-tos and what are your steelhead flies what are you tying what's the common steelhead flies you're tying that's like the rogue stuff lots of swing flies well tons of nymphs yeah tons of steelhead nymphs for sure like stone flies and stuff like that or what would be a steelhead nymph yeah lots of stone flies for the coast here you know we have winter steelhead run and i'm like one of the only fly fishermen down there so oh, wow. we have a whole nother i have a whole nother set of flies this is like in the lower rogue no, this is like in the Coos River. Oh, the Coos. Yeah, like on the coastal coastal stuff. That's where I'm at 
year round. That's where I live. Oh, gotcha. You know, we don't have any fly shops. I'm the closest thing you can get to a fly shop in this area. We don't have really any fly guides. There's maybe one or two that I could recommend. Really? So you don't see many people out there swinging flies? Oh, there's no. Nobody. No. I wonder why that is. I guess it's just a numbers thing because if you go up to the more towards Portland, you'll see plenty of people swinging for winter steelhead. Yeah, you know, the river is, it's funny because it's taken me years to figure it out. Because it's, like I said, it's all conventional fishermen. And, like, if you know the setup, it's like you're just in them all the time, you know. But the fly fishing is really effective. But it's like a whole, you, I had to, like, re it's just not what you would do anywhere else. Roy, what are you using? What are you doing, like, the spay? Super tiny sometimes because it's coastal water, you know. I had to, like, get small glow bug hooks to, like, um, I had to search for hooks, you know, that would fit a small enough fly sometimes for some of this area. Hmm. Yeah. So small, so you're fishing like kind of clear water, trying to get really stealthy? Well, yeah, so on the coast, you know, we have so much runoff that we don't have as many nutrients in the water and our like native, you know, trout, like our native fish don't get as big. So in general, and we don't have the heat, so we don't have the types of hatches that you're going to find inland. And um, that affects the size. So we just don't get the bug size, you know, oh, that gotcha. you're going to find anywhere else. Even up river, like, ro- you know, upper rogue versus, I mean, the lower rogue does well, too, with big bugs. But you're just not going to, you're not going to find that off, you know, in our area. So they're smaller. They're a little different. Once I kind of figured out some of that, it was like, it was on. Nice. And the swinging, too. We have good swinging, but also... That's another thing is it's like you got to drift through. There's a lot of you can't access it by, you know, bank access and there's no take-ins and take-outs. Oh, so right. You make your own, you know. Just hop in and make your own trail. So for TFO, what's the rod you're using for winter steelhead? Well, so I do go pretty light. I do have a BVK that I use a lot. And I have a new Axiom that I'm kind of in love with because it's so light it feels like you're fishing almost like a five weight or something but i think i use six weights a lot yeah i know like again that's probably a little light for our area because the fish are pretty big but um everybody's trying to swing and use their switch rod and there's just no room for that where i am i just don't understand where people toss those sometimes oh gotcha so you're using a, like a single hand six weight oh absolutely Gotcha. And you're just doing like the nymphing thing. Are you doing like a indicator thing or? I swing eggs. I swing nymph sometimes. I mean, it's just like some weird fishing, you know? It sounds familiar. Actually, I've we've done, I mean, we've got a ton of steelhead episodes and I've interviewed people all over the country. And I just had somebody on from New York and uh, we'll put a link to the show notes on that. But he was talking about how he swings with an indicator and like the similar setup for flies. And it helps to keep the fly off the bottom, he was saying, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it keeps it in the zone for him. Um, yeah, sometimes when the water like just isn't wide open like that, you just get too many different hydraulics too. And then like, you don't have like the runs the way, I mean, you, they're there, but they're shorter and they're, Mm. you know, change too quickly. And so like what he's saying, um, just trying to adopt some different practices is helpful, you know? Yeah, definitely. Nice. So, so you got a little steelhead and then you got the rogue, of course you're not, I mean, what are you, you're a couple hours or less from the rogue? Yeah, I'm like two hours and 15 minutes or so to the upper area where we're like Shady Cove area. And we'll just, you know, 
God, that's awesome. Oh it's, oh, it's so good. Yeah, and that's where we have, maybe this is a good time, that's where we have our event. Oh, yeah. Yeah, tell me about it. Let's hear this event. This is the second annual. The first, last year was more of, um, we didn't sell tickets. It was by invitation only. But we had a camp out, um, and we had music, and it was on the Upper Rogue. And I invited as many conservation groups as I could find in the state of Oregon. So my thought was, I'm kind of, you know, we sit at FFI in our board meeting and we talk about, I'm the vice president of Fly Fishers International for the state of Oregon. So I've been on the council for oh, two and a half years now. And when I came on, you know, I basically just listened for a while. But after a while, I was like, you know, raise my hand. I have a question. Yes. What do we do? What do we do? Like, what's our mission? Yeah. What do we do? You know, and it's like nobody really. I was like, so I have another question. Can we start doing things? You know, it's like, so I've spent um, time internally restructuring things like forming streams of income and getting us a little more stable and that so that we can grow because they have grown it pretty big. But now we're so big. We have like 550 members and like over 15 clubs that are affiliated with us that we're kind of bursting at the seams and some you know right it's like needing to be more involved it's like what are we doing with all this so what we're doing now is i think we're trying to find our role and i think uh you know our official role is glue we are glue is what we're trying to do so it's like i'm looking throughout oregon and obviously the whole entire state is business is based on natural resources you know of all kinds and that's kind of that's how we run the whole state. That's how everybody makes their money. So we're looking around and there's like hundreds of different nonprofits throughout the state. And it's like, what are we really getting done? I'm not saying nobody's getting anything done, but I'm saying this process is, we're not being as effective as we could. It's like, why don't we all get together, decide what's most important for the state and pick at least one thing every year and just really get it done. Like we had the no retention of wild steel had last year. And it's like, we finally had ODF and W voting for that, which is huge. They're voting against their own program. Hatchery program really is what they're doing. But then immediately recanted, they revoked the whole thing. So it was like, how do we um, support that? You know, if we have strength in numbers, maybe it's not going to be such an issue to get some of these things done for our state. And maybe if we have everybody together, we can get a picture of what's really wrong when we can see everybody's firsthand account of, you know, their struggle in their area. So last year we had 10 or 15 groups. We did a round table. Basically the idea is the boardroom is stuffy and people aren't relaxed and they don't have creative flows there. So we're going to have music, be on the river, be low-key, have drinks, have food, and relax and really get to know each other. Right. So this is the music. And so how do you, what does that look like on the river? Because you play, you play some music, right? Is this something where you have bands coming? or A stage. We have camping. Um, so you can get a camping ticket, a two-day camping ticket. And they're relative. I think they're like 120 bucks. They're really cheap. And it comes with food. There's like morning breakfast set up. There's like afternoon barbecue. You're literally right on the rogue. It's pretty 
free and open throughout the day. The idea is literally to mingle and get to know each other. After that, in the early afternoon, we have uh, kind of announcements and presentations from any nonprofits that want to, you know, say, hey, this is what we're working on and we need help with right now to see how other organizations like we, we have money, we can give grants to people who just need funding or, hey, we have members, you need manpower for your event. Like, hey, we can help you with that, you know. Gotcha. So you're connecting local. What would be some of the local nonprofits that would be there? Oh, man. Last year, we had Deschutes River Alliance. We had, um, we even had some people from the university. So it's open whoever wants yeah. to. Yeah. This year, it's open. We're selling tickets and it's open. We have day passes for just one night of camping. We have the two-day camping and then we have night passes for music. So Free Creatures is our main uh, band. Oh, nice. Free Creatures. Yeah, they're so good. What type of music is it? It's kind of like a, a funky vibe. Like um, It's just like chill beats. There's a female singer. She's got an upright bass that she plays. And then they've got a guy like mixing and doing some like intermittent kind of rapping type. Mm. It's really cool. Free Creatures, okay. Yeah, they have a great, uh, they generate a pretty big crowd. They'll be playing Saturday night, and people can come down and buy tickets for each night if they just want to come see music. Oh, just music. All-inclusive, just so we can get some bodies in there that might be interested but are really moved by the music, um, just to kind of gain awareness in general for conservation in our state. You know, that's why we're leaving it open to the public. But ultimately, in the mornings, there's the roundtables. So we get anybody who is a representative that wants to, like I said, uh, present the night before. And then we all get together and we just sit down in a circle and, and talk about what we can do to help each other and how we can move forward, you know, with uh, keeping Oregon a profitable natural resource business, I suppose, you know, for everybody, fish included, you know, it's like we can all, there is enough for everybody to thrive here, including the resources that we're using. Right, right. Yeah, everything, because it is a, uh... Yeah, there's plenty of things going on in the state that are challenging, just like any state, right? But um, so the free, we'll put a link in the show notes to the free creature so we can listen to some of that. But what is your music? What do you play? Um, man, I play everything. I think that's kind of, my, I have a blues vibe for sure. I would say like some sort of indie blues is like kind of my thing. I've been playing, I started as a classical pianist when I was three. Hmm. And I played a lot of different instruments. I had a vocal scholarship in college. And now I play an upright bass, too. I play the bass and play guitar and sing. But mainly songwriting, I would say I'm officially a songwriter. Oh, wow. That's cool. What's your... Um, I've had this funny thing. We had a recent guest. Um, we had main fly guys on. Uh, Greg was on, and he mentioned Queen, which is kind of funny because Queen is obviously... And I, whenever I hear Queen, I never thought much about Queen. Of course, they got all these ballads, you know, We Will Rock You and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I've had this one song stuck in my head, and I can't get it out of my head. So I've been listening to it. But I mean, what are your thoughts? So you got Queen. I mean, do you have any huge bands that everybody would know of that you kind of maybe hide? You wouldn't tell anybody you like them, but you actually do? Oh, man. It's funny. I was thinking about this the other day because I really like every type of music. In fact, I was angry at Spotify because I asked for a certain playlist the other day. And it was like, I wanted like 90s rap. And then it was like, they threw Portis head on. And I was like, what is this? You know, and then Bob Marley was playing. And I was like, come on. But yeah. <laughs> like, I just wanted the one kind. But 
My favorite songs, I think, are like classic rock, like The White Stripes. Okay. Some of my favorite songs, I think, are classic rock. So classic rock. And I don't even think of The White Stripes as classic rock. I kind of think more like... What do you think it's more like? Well, I think of, when I always think of classic, I think of like, yeah, Queen, 70s, 80s, whatever, that that rock. Yeah, yeah. But White Stripes, I'm not even sure when they start. Maybe they've been, maybe they do go back that far. Maybe just rock. It's just rock. In general. But sometimes I find that interesting because I do love the blues, like... Um, Big, big old time blues. Like olds, yeah. Yeah, like Little Walter. Right, all that old good stuff. What about the Beatles? Oh, man, it's funny. I, yeah, huge influence on the Beatles. I did not, my dad gave me all the Beatles vinyl albums. Oh, I was wow. like six or seven. He's like in a record player in my room. And he just was like, he's funny sometimes. You know, he's like a businessman. But every once in a while, you like kind of walk in and declare something. And like, this was music. This is all the music yeah. you're really going to need. This is pretty much all it is. It's like redoes their songs anyway. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, and then I'm like, learn all however many albums he gave me, you know, like there are 15 albums or whatever it is. And then I walk in on my dad one day listening to disco and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> what is this? This is amazing. You didn't tell me anything about it. <laughs> right. Wow. So your music, your dad was a big influence on your music? Well, it's funny. He's just, he loves to listen to music. He was a lawyer. He's a real finance guy. And I know at one point he was frustrated because my brother's a percussionist, you know, and I was going in for, you know, I had to sign up for a music degree to get a scholarship, right? I was really interested in science, chemistry and biochemistry was my real interest. But in order to pay for school, you know, I had to really say I was going to be a music major. Yeah. So my dad was crushed. But no, he loves music. And my brother's the only, you know, he's the full-time musician as a percussionist. I have been a full-time musician at times. And I hope, actually, that's my goal is to kind of transition eventually off the golf course and only do, like, fly fishing sponsorship and be a musician. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's kind of my next. The music. There you go back to that you know because i'm not going to want to carry bags forever you know today's episode is sponsored by chode outdoor legendary comfort and equipment you can trust chode insists on the finest material and craftsmanship to assure you have the highest standards of quality you'll feel in control of the elements in your chode gear every product is solidly backed with a no-nonsense warranty against defects and I have a family connection to Choda over the years. Back in the shop, uh, the old shop, my dad uh, carried Choda, and he wore those proudly with confidence. And now I'm carrying on that tradition supporting Choda, and I'm very excited about the new products coming out this year and working with Choda in 2023. I'm pretty rough in my gear and find myself putting a lot of miles on that gear and being pretty rough on it so it's good to know that the chota gear is durable is bomber and i don't have to worry about it and uh, even on those long trips and you know if you have a blowout it's not going to be a good situation so i'm excited to uh, keep digging into this this year clean comfortable charismatic and ready for any situation you can throw at it you can head over right now to chota outdoor at wetflyswing.com slash chota that's C-H-O-T-A, to support this podcast in a great family company right now. Okay, now back to the show. 
So you've been on the tour, right? You've actually been on the tour? Right now, what I do for the most part is I'm a full-time caddy at Bandon Dunes Golf, which is the number one public resort in the world. Really? Now, why is that? How is it the number? It seems like it's such a remote place. Oh, my God. It's funny because no one can really pinpoint this. It's one of those raw experiences that you just can't really explain, but... You know, you're really encompassed in nature in a way that you aren't when you're on the golf course because these are not manicured courses. These are really just the way the land was. They kind of laid the grass down, and that dune was already there. Oh, so this isn't like Pebble Beach. Right. So Pebble is, you know, people compare it to Pebble a lot, but Pebble's way more manicured. And it's funny, people always say they'd rather come to Bandon every year than Pebble. And there's a couple things that set that aside. And Guest service is definitely, well, caddying guest service is huge on that. When you're at Bandon, you can literally take your shoes off, put your feet. I mean, people wander around like they're at home, and that's the beauty of it, you know? You go to Pebble, and you pay, you know, you're like 500 around, but you have to stay for two nights, and you got to take caddies. Oh, no matter how light your bag is, it's getting changed out. Now, I'm not saying that we don't do that a lot, too, but sometimes they're when my player's like, yeah, they changed this out. I'm like, you're kidding me. What do you mean changing out? Um, so like bag weight, you know, and like the way a bag carries is like huge for us. So we have 500 caddies. We have the biggest program in the world. Each course is like a six and a half to eight mile walk. And for a caddy, if you're, especially if you're carrying two bags, you could be walking eight to 10 miles per round. So like maybe 20 miles a day. And so like your bag weight and like the strap and like how it carries is like pretty essential to us. And like, need it to be a certain way. You know, so we have hundreds and hundreds of change out bags at Bandon. So like, honestly, I typically tell all my, I have a little thing for my, mostly I work off of referrals at this point. You know, I have a lot of requests that are regulars that come back every year. When I have a new request that's like, hey, friend of mine's coming out. Uh, can you take care of them? I send them kind of like a to-do list for Bandon and like what to expect and all that. And Nine times out of ten, I'm like, if you have a stand bag, you know, staff bag, just like dump all your stuff in it and bring it out and I'll just change it out here with one of our bags. Gotcha. So what do you do in the K? I just think of myself and it's been a while. I'm probably not a good example, but if I was coming out golfing, you know, it'd be a mess. But I mean, how do you what do you do as a caddy? Basically a life coach. I'm going to, you know, keep you from going off the rails mentally because golf apparently makes people crazy. (laughs) Right. I've seen it. I've seen people throw plenty of clubs plenty of times. I've seen that happen. Yeah. So, you know, I've thought about this. It's been 10 years that I've been caddying at Bandon Dunes and at all. I do caddy down south in Palm Desert at the Madison Club. And I caddy at the Quarry, which is another, those are both very high-end private clubs. In the California? Yes. And I do caddy in the PGA Pro-Am. So on the PGA Tour, we're paired with pros. We have amateurs that are paired with pros. And I will caddy for an amateur that is paired with a pro during an actual tour event. Exactly. That must be pretty cool because now you're dealing with somebody that already knows what club he wants, right? How does that differ? Well, it's just, it's different. So like at the resort, like I said, these handicaps are high. They come out here. Now we're talking about people who maybe even are decent at golf, but like they don't play link style golf. So we're talking about like traditional golf that you would find in like Ireland or Scotland is the way band and dunes. We have a lot of wind. Like if you look at a typical golf bag, 
I have like my drivers like at nine degrees and nobody has higher than nine degrees on their driver. They have like, I have a two iron and three iron. We have all irons because you can't control the ball. You can't flight the ball, like the wedges, the bounce, everything is different in a bag for like this type of play. So we get these golfers out here and they're like, yeah, y'all take an eight iron. I was like, you'll get a five, you know, like absolutely. You'll never get that there. Get over yourself. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, right. obviously out there, like you have better ball striking even with the amateurs on tour, you know, you have better ball striking and it's more of like a working relationship, like what you know to be true based on what you're observing and when what they know to be true based on their performance. And sometimes that can be a little trickier, but that's more like a marriage, you know, that's a whole different way to approach it, you know, and you're just giving information like this is the front of the green. This is how much wind we have. This is how much uphill it is. And you let them kind of decide how aggressive they want to be um, based on how they're playing, you know? Yeah, yeah, I see. So out, out at Bandon, though, it's funny because I t say at Bandon all the time, these guys are like pin seekers. And I'm like, the tour guys are literally just trying to get a green and rig. Why are you trying to get a three-foot birdie putt? Like, you are way worse than them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you are still paying to play this game, my friend. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, golf is a very... Uh... I mean, it's hard. It's it's not an easy, maybe one of the hardest sports. Okay, so that's the thing. Like when we talk about the experience and like it's hard and sending people off the rails. What I've come to find, and I, I say this to the women in the men's lives who don't play and don't understand, you know, it's not really an escape per se. It's quite different than that. You, when you're hitting a golf shot, you cannot be in the past and you cannot be in the future thinking about your outcome. You have to be really not thinking and relying on your mechanics, but you have to be fully in the present to execute a shot. And you have to stay there. It's kind of like a bull ride. You, know? you have to stay there for like a full eight seconds <laughs> or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And it's a long time to you and it's like short to whoever's witnessing it, you know? Right. And it's like people don't understand, you know, they, they hit this shot and it doesn't go well and they realize that they're not in control of their mind or their body. No. <laughs> and they're like, what the f you know and that's a lot of the addiction i think to golf is like really you know being in control of your mind and your body like really being able to say i have mental fortitude to be able to block things out and control and it all spills over into life like how you behave on the golf course i mean this is why business deals go down you know on the golf course is because like when you hit an errant shot if you're losing your and throwing your club sorry we, we do not want to do business good place to get to know somebody yeah, so I think all of that is way more pertinent to the game, has a lot more to do with, like, everyday life control than people give it credit for, and, like, that's a lot of the attraction. So when she's like, he just wants to be there, I'm like, and there is a lot of, you know, going off the rails, lots of beers and stuff on the course. It's definitely a side to it where it's great to just go down and relax, but also I think some of that happens because they start playing, they're like, this isn't going well. I need a beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is the problem. Yeah, that, or that is the problem is that it feels it's good for a little bit, and then you probably go a little bit too far, and then you're not. There's no coming back. Trying to adjust the levels out there. Yeah, but you know, and it's again like I definitely have both of those rounds. Like I have a girls' trip. We call ourselves the Sand Tramps, and there's twelve of us, and we're all golfers from all over the United States, and Canada, and we go on trips every year, and that's just a full blown show i mean we have alcohol sponsors oh wow big beer tha do you know that's the golf club beer bong we have that oh geez like literally a beer bong yes <laughs> yeah so that's like a whole nother experience 
Yeah, that is. If the beer bong's coming out, you're at a whole whole another yeah. level of uh, you know whatever that is. But um, but most of the time when I'm playing, I'm like you know I'm doing what we talked about. I'm trying to control my mind, yeah, and my body, and right? Like get that you know squared away. <laughs> no, I love the golf. Well, I I gotta ask one more golf question because this is like always the. You know, I'm probably, I think I'm a little older than you, but I mean, like Tiger Woods. So tell me this, you probably do, you, I don't even know if you follow golf, but I mean, the guy, talk about a train wreck, right? I mean, the guy's the greatest ever. Right. Like, what is the deal now? Is he like legit, I mean, kind of on his way back, or is this just kind of another show? What do you think? You know, what I think is, I think he's having a transition right now, um, which is really good. I mean, I have never, I have never had respect for him until recently. And it's because I feel that when you are in the public eye like that, it is your responsibility to set a good, you know, set a good example. And like, he absolutely did not do that. And all these people are idolizing him. And it's like, they're going to idolize your behavior too. And that's a problem, you know, getting up and driving and like banging everything you see, like, you know, go take care of your, that's what therapy's for, man. Like, please do not impress that upon millions and millions of people. Right. However, saying that, I'm not denying that I think that his his story is amazing. Like, refused to eat as a baby unless he was watching his dad hit golf balls. Hmm. Like, that whole saga is, like, amazing. You know, he's incredible. Yeah. But it's like, I just think when you have that gift, you need to use it wisely. And so that's why I've struggled with him as a player throughout the years. But now, the way he deals with his son and the way his son plays. Oh, his son is playing? Oh my God, his son's like amazing. What's his son's name? Charlie. Charlie Woods, okay. Yeah, but it's really like he's amazing because, you know, his dad's probably fixing all the things that he felt his dad did wrong and coaching him and doing all the things he felt his dad did right, right? And his son's like really enjoying himself, you can tell, and getting good. And his dad's just like supporting his game. And like when you see him not like grinding him, but like really you know, letting him have time, it's amazing to watch. Is his son like on the tour? Well, he's like a child. Oh, another child project. They do these like tour events, you know, where they have like, you know, where like the dailies will play together. It's like a father son event. And so it's, it is a televised deal, you know, and the kids, no, very, very good. Right. This is good. Okay. Well, let's bring it back. I'm going to bring it back to uh, flight time real quick because I wanted to, I had a couple questions here on the, um, I was kind of thinking at the start, the realistic flight patterns, you know, because, that's a big thing. You're out there, like the salmon fly hatch is going, everybody's seeing bazillion stimulators or whatever. What, what are you tying? Like when you say, when people come to you, do they give you a special type of pattern? Well, sometimes I do have a lot of people who will take, get a photo of a pattern somewhere and they're like, I can't find anybody who knows anyone who knows, like, can you make this? And I've never had an issue making it. So I do that a lot. Hmm. So just out of blue, you've never seen the fly before. It's like you just create it, follow a pattern they'll send me like the picture i've never seen the actual fly but i'll like you know break it down as best i can and like blow it up a bunch of times do whatever i can to figure it out and i've every time they've been like this is the fly hmm. you know? right so, um it's worked so far but you know with that again i think the materials like we're talking like you know whatever somebody's using um for their veil on the back of their chubby it's like the material i'm using is just different it's moving just differently enough it's, uh, you know, causing more attraction, right? Yeah, it's making, there's something different. And the coloring, I have a thing on the coloring. I notice on the Deschutes, if you're throwing under trees versus throwing out on water, I mean, I just, basically what we're going into, I'm going to have two dry dropper setups and that's it. 
I'm going to have basically the same setup, but one will be for sunny and one will be for shady. Mm, gotcha. So the coloring on that I noticed is huge. You know, it's like a random a whole nother like purples and grays and a whole other colors in the shadies. The regular colors aren't showing up right. Gotcha. So the brighter or the purplest and then out in the sun, you're using just your normal bug type colors. Normal bug colors. Yeah. I do too. I have a couple of those patterns that hang just under the water too. That's more technique, the chubbies. Oh yeah. That's more of a technique I would say than anything, than a tying technique. You know, it's a fishing technique. Yeah. 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 But the way I weight everything, you know, like I have the thick ones that I want to sit on top because some of the, the, the shoots is pretty big, you know, and it rips by pretty quickly. And some of those deer hair simulators will just drown instantly, but also not bad for those to be underwater and catch fish that way too. Yep. So the stimulator, is that something you tie a lot of? Yeah, I do. I have like a foam type stimulator. It's almost like a hex bug and it's like bright orange and bright black. And depending on, again, the coloring, uh, that one sits real low in the water and that one's very popular. Okay. Yeah. It, again, it's like it has to do with whether it's a full bright day, partly cloudy, and then am I fishing in the sun or am I fishing under trees? That's where I've targeted my fly making for the Deschutes salmon fly hatch, if that makes sense. Yeah. Are you heading over there? Uh, or is this like guiding or you got a trip plan? Yeah. So the I've been actually listening to reports from Dick and like obviously the hatch is going to be late this year because we had so much cold, wet weather i mean we had snow like swear to god a couple weeks ago so um the hatch will be late i have a couple more requests i have a request at bandon right now and then i have one more after that and then i'll be there like throughout the end of the month oh you will so end of the month so yeah end of may pretty much yeah i'll just be there probably the last week week and a half in may because i'm pretty sure that's that's it. Yeah. Well, I was there. So I was there last week. I did go up to Bend last week. I was just on the middle to shoots in town. I didn't go all the way up to Madras. But man, the bugs in the water. I caught, it was a bummer because like I wasn't really there to fish. Yeah. But it was like, <laughs> I like brought my boyfriend up and he's never been fly fishing. And I was like, so I happened to have brought waiters and <laughs> right. brought everything. So you're trying to get him into it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, and he did good. Like we hooked fish and stuff, but then he was like, I dipped my waders because like there was like his fly line was like wrapped around a log that was like starting to go down the stream and I'm like trying to run over there. So I got a change and then I had a flat tire, but I had video, I did video and put up online of the bugs, man, they were so active. The nymphs were so freaking active. So it's like, they're getting ready. Yeah, they're cool. And this is the middle. This is the middle of the shoots. This is on the middle. Yeah. So this is above, this is like been above Lake Billy Chinook. Yeah, yeah, totally. What's that like? That's kind of a different river up there. Is that kind um, of a... You know, it's a, just a little smaller. It's not crazy different, but it's just not as wide. Otherwise, the river is actually kind of similar, but more like bucket type. You know, that's like the uppers, like, like that it's kind of a mix between the upper and lower where it'll be flats for a while but more of the buckets that you'll find on the on the upper you know gotcha we were hooking in uh right away on this interesting pattern that i haven't actually gotten to use a lot i think it was the year before last when i created it but i happen to be probably in april again up on the deschutes because tfo comes a lot that time of year and i 
happened to look down and see a nymph that was like real comfortable walking underwater. He's walking around and under him was all these little white hair. It was like the whole underbody of him was like... Oh, albino or something like that or... I don't know. The underside of the nymph, I saw a couple of them. It was like all this white stuff came out. It was like, does anybody know about this? Oh, right. So this wasn't the bug color. This was just some weird something going on. Almost like he opened up and it was like the way he was almost walking on like a thousand little white hairs. Ah, interesting. And I have a video of it somewhere. I have to pull it up again. Yeah. It was wild and I was like, okay, I did not know about this, right? Right, right, right. The first thing I think about is maybe like gills, but you know, or something like that. It was kind of like that is what it reminded me of. So I tied like, oh, basically nymphs with white chenille on the bottom and then doing like the black body over top, you know? And... I finally, and those were the ones I dropped in there. And man, it was like hammer, hammer, hammer. But then I had a flat tire. Oh, Roy. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, the nymphs were just like, I was trying to hold them in my hand to take a video and they just kept walking off. I mean, they were like so active. They're cruising. That's right. Yeah, it's right around the corner. And, and Dick Segura, is he, do you know him pretty well? I've known Dick. I mean, I've been with TFO for, gosh, maybe eight years. Oh, eight years. Wow. Yeah. So you know Dick. How would you describe him? He seems like a pretty cool guy. He is cool. You know, again, I think it's one of those things where it's like he took me on with TFO. He got me signed with TFO. So it's like that authority figure <laughs> where I'm like, oh. oh, right. But over the years, it's kind of like not that way at all, you know. And I think for me, I um, it's like, you know, on the golf course, it's like everybody's at vacation, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I'm also, it's like, how do I be party and authority? And so, like, I feel like with the sponsors sometimes, I've always been, like, a little, I'm like, guys, you know I live in Oregon, right? I know there's a lot of weed over right, here, right? too much party. <laughs> I'm like, is that cool? <laughs> right. So, but it turns out it's all good, you know? And so, like, we've I've do, done a lot of camping trips now with Dick. And, oh, Roy. Yeah, he always makes me bring my guitar. And the first time before I got my license and before... So I have a lot of experience uh, kayaking and like uh, rapids and stuff. And I have a ton of experience. I lived on a sailboat for eight years. Oh, wow. And I lived anchored out. So I rode Jeez. my rowboat was my form of transportation. So I have a ton of rowboat experience and kayak experience, but I hadn't run a drift boat, you know? And the, I, his drift boat was the first. He's like, okay, so you're going to float me today. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Wow. <laughs> like, this time, yeah. It was in Dick's boat, so... Oh, it was in Dick's. What type of boat? He has a clacka. Clacka, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. A sailboat seems amazing. You're for eight years, and why anchored off? Why not at a dock? Or how's that look? I mean, probably just because I was young and poor, you know? Yeah, that's it. So you can literally anchor up, and you can just go for free, anchor anywhere you want. Yeah, I mean... I would say it was like because I was a hard, you know, hardcore, but reality is probably because I was poor. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that's amazing. So eight years you were doing this. So you're anchored up in just a little distance from shore. Yeah. Just like in, I was in Taylor's Creek in Beaufort, North Carolina. So just like a few hundred yards out anchored, you know, anchored on a mooring or like a super heavy anchor, you know, and just rode to the dinghy dock. There's like a public dock where everybody rows their little dinghy. And Yeah. And what would that be like when you're out there? Would you, in the morning, just boats kind of like, take us there. What is that like when you're living off a boat like that? Amazing because one thing I notice is when you put yourself in a box, you know, you really separate your yourself. I mean, if I was going to get like deep about it, you know, we all have this like connection to the earth and like just our energy. And I really feel like when you put yourself in a box, you really 
sever that a lot, you know? So like when you're, you're kind of, when you're on a boat, you're really living in the elements, like the water's rocking you to sleep and like the air, you're always smelling it. And like, it is what it is, you know? And so everything changes a little every day, which is way more interesting of a life. Right. It's more natural, right? That's kind of how we evolved. Yeah. And you get to take your, it's like being a snail. You take your home on your back everywhere you go, you know, sail up and down the East Coast or whatever. Is that what you would do? Were you like a pro? Could you just sail anywhere? Yeah, I had a small 25 foot Bristol and then moved on a 50 foot wooden boat for a while with the guy I had dated for a couple of years and then moved back down to a 30 footer, did a lot of sailing up and down the East Coast. Yeah, nothing crazy. Didn't get to go anywhere crazy yet. I thought when I moved out to Oregon that I was just going to move on another boat, you know, it is like not like that out here. Why is that? Why can't you do that here? Well, it's not that you can't. I mean, I could, I actually have to move my boat out here this year. It's still out east and I will be, it will be coming this way this year. So that project will begin. And there is a dock downtown where I can leave my boat, but like the Pacific is just different. You don't sail up and down the coast. You sail back and out, you know? Why is that? Why don't you go up and down? Well, it's just the way the winds and stuff work. Mm. You know, so like if I wanted to sail to California, it would be way faster if I just went to Hawaii first. Oh, really? Yes. Crazy. Because then I could go straight to Hawaii and then I could turn around and tack straight back to like Los Angeles. Otherwise, it'd be like on a sewing machine, like a zigzag zipper. You'd be up. Take so long. Gotcha. Because you're going against the wind. Yeah. Well, you can't you're going directly with or at it and you can't sail that way you have to be offset just a touch crazy god this is so sailing is one i mean this is one of the things for me it's one of those things i've always had like as a goal you know what i mean i've never in fact i had my you know uh, father-in-law just passed away recently and he has a sailboat and it's one of those things where i'm like man this seems like it's really an opportunity to like to just step up and be like All right, i need to learn to sail you know how hard is it if you're like you've never done it, Roy? I've been on the boat a couple times to learn to sail. Um, I mean, it's not it's not super super easy. What's harder, easier to learn to fly fish than sail? No, I think they're kind of really similar because, like, with the fly fishing, you know, there's like always something else that comes up. You're like, yeah, but we haven't gotten to this type of water. Oh, but we haven't fished this type of species. Oh, but we, you know, it's like there's right. always more information, and that's like with the sailing, it's like. You know, you're just dealing with mother nature is the thing. Like you are, it's an interesting relationship being on the sea, like watching people interact with the sea um, as a commercial fisherman and as a sailor is very interesting to me. And I think every sailor and every, you know, longliner who's out there for any periods of time will tell you that this is true. Man, you, I mean, and again, like now I'm back to just like my science and my avenue. You're like a radio tower that sends and receives frequency, right? And like water holds frequency and memory. And we're talking about an entire ocean. So like kind of what you put out there and you're, I mean, I've seen people talk about the ocean on the calmest day. And all of a sudden a rogue wave literally takes them out. And we're like, how? Oh, wow. You know, I mean. More than once. Hmm. And so it's like, I find that if you really can find a way to work with her and respect her, it's like she will take care of you. Yeah. You know, there's always a way in the water at or around the water. There's like always, in fact, there's a newer like movie out 
about a young girl who like single handed around the world. And it reminds me of that, you know, it's like she barely made it by her hair and like her butt, but it's like, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I feel like the ocean always leaves you an out, but it's like, you gotta respect it and listen to it and you can't muscle it. And Right, I love that. Have you ever thought about just, uh, you know, sailing across, just going for it? I've always wanted to sail around the world single handed. Probably why I still have my little Bristol. The Bristol is like a, 6,000 pound boat with 4,000 pounds. It's the only boat you can stand up in. And it's the only like real like boat of that size. One of the only ones that's really made for going around the world. Oh, really? And I just have never been able to let go of it. It was my first boat too. And a Bristol Channel Cutter. And they're kind of, you know, those are sought after hauls um, as well. They're not easy to come by and they're real classics. Mm-hmm. Is it a wood boat? No, it's fiberglass. They're fiberglass, but um, they're just like, and one of the things too is the one I got, it was like in this, it was very late 60s, right uh, before they got all that bad, like batches of epoxy and right before they like knew how thick they really needed to be. So the boat's like way too thick, which is awesome. Not way too thick, but it's like, you know, when they realized they could skimp on it a little, it was like before. Oh, so it's tough. Tough boat. Tough. Wow. This is cool. So. So one day she'll be back out. I just, you know, there are boats littered everywhere. I got a buddy who owns a boat yard in the in North Carolina, and he's like, every once in a while he calls me, he's like, which one do you want? Just please come get one of these. You know, there are boats everywhere you could have for free. Oh, really? Just have them. You don't have to, you can yeah, like, you know, people don't pay their dry storage fee. Oh, right. Yeah, and it's like I come out here, and there's just not that many sailboats because it's just like not the sailing. You know, there's no intercoastal waterway. It's not friendly back and forth. There's not like that sort of community. I just. Didn't realize I needed to bring my boat with me when I came. Right, right, right. Oh, gotcha. You know, and so I always wanted to have property. I, have, I own a home here. I bought a house here. And I always wanted to do that, too. So that's part of the picture. But, yeah, you know. Yeah. Wow, you got some good stuff. Do you have, like, a, um, you know, songs out there, album and stuff? That's what I'm really working on. Like, I, uh, I have Pro Tools. Like, I have a full recording studio. I just got a brand new bass because the one that I had before was too to record on. So, like, I'm really working, and I supposedly hired a guitarist, but I am having a hard time getting him to practice a ton. So, but he is amazing. And so I'm really trying right now to get it all down again. I had an album out forever ago, but, like, so, so old, and I just, like, think it's trash now. So um, I have, like, three albums ready to record. So that's – I'm trying right now to get it out. I have to get it out before that August thing. So the camp out is – it's the hook, wine, and thinker. So it's like a BYOB camp out with music on the rogue. And we're just talking about fishing and conservation. And you can bring your drift boats and go fish during the day and all that. And it's August 18th through 20th. Perfect. And the tickets are dirt cheap. They're online. They'll be on Eventbrite. So to get those tickets, where would they find them? How would they just search on Eventbrite? Yeah, hook, wine, and thinker, conservation camp out, all that stuff on there yeah it's by fly fishers international the oregon council and um we'll have it like on our facebook page and on our you know instagram i'll have it on my instagram too so perfect and i'll put a link uh we actually just did an episode a little bit ago with uh, john hazlitt he's a guide up there on the rogue and he oh, sweet. he broke down like step by step to fishing that upper part of the rogue so we'll add that as well so people can check that because that's the that's the cool thing about this right you could have music and that's great and hire john yeah to take you fishing during this event that's what's up there we go 
That's it. So yeah, we'll send everybody out to um, Sarah Joe Flies on um, on Instagram, right? And yeah. uh, and tell me this. I got one last question for you, Sarah Joe. I was just listening to. Well, I mentioned the Queen, right? So Queen, who's the lead singer of Queen? What's his name? Um, Freddie Mercury. Oh, Freddie Mercury. Yes. Right, and he just came up with that, right? His name was he had some other name. Oh my gosh! So this is a great time. If anybody wants to help me with a stage name, okay, this is a great time to just throw that out there for you. For me. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying you've got it. You've got it, though. You've got, like, your royalty. Okay, so I was like, man, if we could, like, tie in, like, the, my last name somehow. But So I was thinking about, like, using the word midge or, like, midges just because it's a fly fishing thing, but also because it's, like, Barbie's friend who has brown right. hair. Right. You know? So I'm like, I don't know. But if anything is creative, like, send it to me. That's right. You got to stick with royalty for sure. So we just need them to send you a new first name. Yeah, I need like something. I don't know. I was just trying to play on more, all of those words somehow. All right. I'm going to send some people your way on Instagram here to throw some stuff at you because we're going to get you a stage name. This will be perfect. Oh, so perfect. anybody listening right now, if you're hanging on till the end here, just uh, send Sarah a name for her something royalty, right? That You got it. Yeah. Cool. All right, Sarah. Well, thanks for uh, all the time today. Like we said, we'll put links in the show notes to all this. And um, yeah, thanks for all the time. This has been a lot of fun. I love that we've kind of dug into everything, fly fishing and everything else. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks a lot. There it is. Wetflyswing.com slash 472. 472 will get you what you need to get right now. So go get it. We're giving away good stuff all year long, and the newest thing we got going on top of our events in our schools is is on Instagram. You can head over right now at Wet Fly Swing. Follow us there and submit a question for an upcoming guest, and you get a shot at not only getting a mention on this podcast, getting your question answered, getting your question answered on this podcast, but you actually get a chance to win some gear. So we're going to be giving away some swag uh, as we move forward. So stay tuned for that and jump in right now. Follow us at Wet Fly Swing. Let's get a listener shout out in the books before we get out of here. Alan Shatrand. Alan, I know, I know we've chatted before and I know I always mess up your last name. So you're going to have to remind me if I was even close on that one. But let's, uh, let's give you a shout out right now. Here we go. Alan. Alan says, hi, Dave. Wenatchee, Washington here. Brown trout are my favorite, but rainbows and cuts are what I chase the most. Heading to the big hole tomorrow. We'll be getting caught up on past episodes on the drive. Keep up the good work. Tight lines, Alan Shatran. Alan, amazing. Thanks for checking in today. Uh, always appreciate seeing your name in the uh, in the inbox. And uh, if you get a chance, you got to remind me, uh, send me an email or actually send me a, a message on social. Let me know if I got that, uh, your last name close. I can't remember this one, but I appreciate your support. If you want to get a shout out on this podcast and get a shout out where I blow your last name as well, potentially reach out to me anytime, Dave at wetflyswing.com or on social media, like we said, at wetflyswing. And, uh, and you'll get a chance for me to see if I can blow your last name. That's the new segment. Can Dave blow your last name on the podcast? Let's give it a shot. All right. Do we want to look at where we're heading next really quick? Where are we heading next? Let's take a look if it's worth a shot. Where are we heading next? Where are we heading next? All right. Uh, let's give let's give one shout out. I always love to give this right around the corner. Right around the corner. You've got another uh, Great Lakes Dude podcast coming, and you know it's going to be good. I think Jeff might be breaking out his first 
uh, interview podcast, at least on this uh, on this show. Stay tuned for that, and uh, and I think I think that's about good for today. Um, I'm gonna let uh, I'm gonna let Sarah take this away as we roll out of here with that ballad we mentioned at the start. So time to listen to that ballad. Uh, let's hear her knock this one out. Um, I will say this is live recording over the internet into her um, device, so this is not the greatest audio, but but. As good as we can get, and I think it's the uh, it's what it's all about that's more important. So let's uh, let's listen to that now. And I hope you are having a great morning, a great afternoon, or a great evening wherever you are in the world. And I appreciate you for stopping in today. And let's let Sarah take it away. Won't you let me down easy? Take it in small pieces. My ass slipped along the way Blindside before hitting a wall Cause we met in the Forest, ghost trees clinging to the coast. Oh, you made me see in greens and blues. Cause happiness and pain, they all feel the same. There's no easy way to roll the dice. Gray bleeds from black and white. But if I can't be moved by the look that you give when your lips leave my skin And I watch you wrap yourself so tight Won't find more sap in the pines No, you won't find more sap in the pines down and I get quiet cause your love's hard to receive oh your kindness triggers trauma tears all coming on like a leak and all I used to know rushes like a tide with undertow have to decide between ebb and flow. There's no easy way to roll the dice. Gray bleeds from black and white. But if I can't be moved by the look that you give when your lips leave my skin, and I want you wrap yourself so tight. Won't find more sap in the pines. No, you won't find more sap in the pines. Oh, what the heart does know. 
Nothing at the risk is a safe way to go. There's no easy way to roll the dice. Great bleeds from black and white. But if I can't be moved by the look that you give when your lips leave my skin. And I watch you wrap yourself so tight and won't find more sap in the pines. No, you won't find more sap in the pines.